Welcome into season three of New York Her. I'm your host, Caroline Hendershot. I am so excited to kick off this new season with my personal favorite, this new guest, Tracy Wolfson. Tracy, for those who don't know her, is the best of the best. She is a sideline reporter for CBS, but she also is a four-time Emmy nominee. She's been working on the sideline and with CBS for over 18 years. She hosts an all-female sports talk show called We Need to Talk and March Madness. She does it all. She's a jack of all trades. But Tracy, welcome in. I'm so excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited for you, and I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Okay, so for those who don't know, Tracy and I actually met five years ago because we both share the best part is we're both Michigan alums. So we met five years ago, and Tracy started a weekend immersion trip where you select a student from Michigan and you take them through a whole weekend experience with CBS and a game day and what all of that entails. We went to meetings, we stood on the sideline, I was up in the booth with Jim Nance and Tony Romo, your partners for uh, part of the broadcast, and I got to go through that with her and it was the most amazing experience of my life and that's how Tracy and I met. And I knew right away that you were going to be a star. And I said it to you when you left that weekend. I'm like, keep at it. Keep going. You're going to be a star in this business. And let me know what I could do to help you along the way. And you didn't really need my help. You did it all <laughs> on your own. And I am so proud of you. And I you. just I use you as an example to everyone who's done that shadow ship since. Thank you. That's so sweet of you. It's a full circle moment for us both. So we're both like very giddy right now, if you can hear it in our voices. So just bear with us through all of the excitement. But I want to dive into your career and just the insane path that you took and just have maintained. You've been at the top of your craft for a long time now and sustained success, I think, is probably the hardest thing to achieve in this industry, and you've done it with such grace. So I want to kind of go backwards and see how that all came to fruition. So you grew up in New York, and you you called yourself, you didn't know where your sports fandom came from, but do you think growing up in the New York, New Jersey area kind of helped evoke that out of you? I think, to be honest, I just was, I loved playing sports. That's really where it started. I was, as we say, a little tomboy growing up. Uh, my dad was a Jets fan and a Mets fan at the time. And I had a, a first cousin who was really into sports. So every time I would go over to his house, we'd watch the football games. But I kind of just took it on myself. And I think I would find myself in my room. I don't know why my parents allowed me to have a TV set, but <laughs> you know, my parents didn't have the best marriage and, and they're divorced right now. And so I found myself kind of hiding a little bit in my room. And what I would do was watch sports. That was kind of my outlet. And so I would watch everything. And remember like ESPN, Sports Center, all that stuff wasn't, you know, there at the time. So I would watch every game, every, you know, Met game at the time and it's a story for another day that I've turned into a Yankee fan, but um, I watched that fan and, and Nick games and, and Jets games. And then I would watch George Michael's sports machine, which was an old school sports center type highlight um, highlight show that was on at like 11 o'clock at night. My mm -hmm. parents never, 
I would keep my TV on and I'd watch from 11 to 11.30 and get all my sports information. And, and that was it. And then between my love for sports, you know, outside playing tennis and basketball and softball, um, I, just, I just became obsessed with it. And one day I would watch the NBA Inside Stuff, which they really continued that show until just about a year ago. But on the show was Will Obey and Ahmad Rashad. And most, you know, of your generation would know it from The Last Dance. Mm -hmm. They showed a bunch of clips of those two and especially Ahmad Rashad during the Michael Jordan days. But I watched that show and I remember watching Will Obey and saying, you know what, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to talk sports. And she really inspired me to do so and it's funny I've, I've actually never had the chance to meet her mm -hmm. nor say thank you um for giving me that dream that's so funny it's it's i feel like it's always when you least expect it you kind of realize all of these people that have come into your path that have influenced you and you don't ever expect it and then you look back all these years later and that's like your b biggest role model in a sense these days no doubt. And it's funny because my role model now and one of my biggest mentors is Leslie Visser, certainly mm -hmm. paved the way for so many of us. And um, she I talk to all the time. You know, we talk about it. I say thank you. I'm able to see her and give her a hug and appreciate what she's been able to do for me. Right. But there are other women out there that we've all just grown up watching that you nearly really never get the chance to say thank you to. Right. OK, so you said your dad grew up. Be, or raised you growing up a Jets fan. Do you have an earliest memory of rooting for the Jets? It was really Mark Gastineau was and you know Klecko like those were the two that I you know grew up watching. Um, you know we would just sit on the couch and and cheer them on. And of course we're still sitting together these days. I will still get a text every oh our Jets <laughs> or what change or what about the hire or I don't like this. And I have to keep reminding him it's a real slow process. Like, just understand, we'll get that there one day. Yes. We really will, I promise you. But you got to, and I think, I actually think we're in a really good spot right now. Mm -hmm. But, you know, those old school Jet fans, especially us, you know, we want it bad. We want it now, right? right? So um, there, were, there were many memories, um, nothing specific, just really the time that my dad and I spent together. Um, you know, watching those games and forming that bond together. We're going to get back to the current team at the end of this podcast. But so you grew up, you found this passion for sports broadcasting, and then you went to Michigan. Why did you choose Michigan? Yeah, so uh, I chose Michigan solely because of the academics and the sports. It was a great combination. To be honest, my family really wanted me to go to a state school in New York. And that's really what they could afford at the time. But it didn't have big time sports for me to be around, right. I, knowing that I wanted to get into this business. And so I said to my parents, I said, if I get into Michigan, I will pay my way to and from whenever I would have to fly and get home. I'd work all four years, but I really want to go there. I wanted to be exposed to all of the athletics, but I also wanted to have that top notch education. And so that's really what took me there. I got in and I did pay my way and I did um, work every year there. And, um, you know, it was it was such an opportunity to be surrounded by sports and in the end it really worked out because as you know you know the communication journalism program when i got there was there and basically by my sophomore junior year it had folded so i wasn't able to take any classes in terms of trying to prepare myself for an on-air role 
And so having the, the big time sports and ABC and CBS coming to do games there gave me a chance to really get involved and get my feet wet and then also get some internships through the communications department there. Did you find it hard trying to kind of pave your own path because Michigan doesn't have a journalism program. So it's not your typical explicit step-by-step directions and how to get this next on-air job. So did you find that a little bit difficult? Because you not only had to do it that at Michigan, but then again when you graduated because there was no next step after CBS. Well, wait. It was figuring out a way to get in front of the camera to achieve my dream, but at the same time get experience and work. And I always felt like even if I never got in front of the camera, I knew I wanted to be in sports. So Mm -hmm. I did feel like I was, you know, taking the next step, Uh, but it was difficult. I mean, there's a lot of times where you just kind of have to, you know, push through or accept a job you might not want or move on when you're not ready or just kind of take the next opportunity and make the most of it. And that's what I had to do. I mean, getting an opportunity to work for CBS right out of college was incredible. Would I have liked to get on the air? right away sure but i didn't have a tape to show for it so if i didn't have a tape i knew i wasn't getting on the air and then i went to cbs i was a researcher there i worked there for about a year and you know as as a researcher you kind of start moving up the ladder you go to a a ba and then you go to an ad and mm-hmm. a great you know they work in graphics and then you go to be a producer or director i didn't really want to be on that path but i was stuck there mm-hmm. and i did an interview with um, my boss at the time was saying, okay, you could take the next step and you could be a BA. Let, you know, so I sat down and interviewed with him and he said to me, you know, I know you know sports and I know you love sports, but not like the guys do. And when he said that to me, my like jaw dropped. And yeah. I'm like, did you really say that? You know, my first experience of being a woman in this business, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Just like you said, kind of like things, you know, you're kind of forced in different directions because of situations that happen. Right. So I left because I wanted to get the promotion. Mm-hmm. And at the time I left, and right away, I got an offer from a friend of mine who was leaving the company to work as an agent for a year. And I was like, okay, you know, this is not what I want to do, but it's in the sports field. It's representing broadcasters. Mm-hmm. It's a nine to five, five days a week job in New York City where I was living. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. Yeah. And it, it was great experience. I saw a different side of the business. And then I was there and I got someone my age, a job going from, I think it was Buffalo to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And they were already in the number one market. And I'm like, wait a second, I haven't even gotten in front of the camera yet. Yeah. So that kind of forced me. I was like, where do I go from here? And I got a job producing for a local TV station in News 12 Long Island. Mm-hmm. And I got that job because of my cover letter. They didn't have a job for me. They hired me because they liked my cover letter. They're like, we'll find a spot for you. I produced, so I learned how to edit. I learned, you know, visually how to put things together, how to make a feature, all that stuff I had missed out in college, I learned to do there. Right. And then I went out with a reporter, and every time he did a story, I did a story. And I put together a fake tape. Nothing ever aired, but I just put it all together, so I had something. And I knew how to do it because I'd been watching so many people for so long. Mm -hmm. I just knew I needed that shot. Right. And that first me to my first job. Okay, I want to go back to the thing your boss said to you of, (laughs) you know sports, but not like the guys. Has that kind of stuck with you forever? Because it feels like that was imprinted into your mind. Oh, yeah. I mean, I use it every everywhere I go to talk about, you know, my path or, you know, obstacles you have to overcome. 
Um, certainly because people always ask me in this business, you know, what kind of obstacles as a woman have you had to overcome? And I've been very fortunate, but this one specifically stuck out to me. And it was mm -hmm. kind of like, you need to prove yourself extra more because you're a female in this business. Th with that being said, it was a kick in, a, in the butt for me though, because had that not have happened and I had gotten the job, I might be a producer right, right. now or a director. I might have stayed on that path of, of that ladder because it was easy and I was already in it. So in the end, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Right, yeah, it, it was maybe disheartening in the moment, but again, everything happens for a reason. So when you made that tape and you knew you just needed a shot, was that a hard waiting game to play? Because I feel like from my personal experience, that's your almost your mind becomes your own worst enemy. You know you can do it, but you just need a shot, but it feels like the shot may never come. And so you start kind of almost doubting yourself. Did you ever go through something like that? I did. I threw everything against the wall and waited till something stuck mm -hmm. and got a bunch of got an opportunity. I was interviewing for CBS down in Miami. Never felt, you know, it fell through. I was interviewing out in San Diego. I was with my husband at the time mm -hmm. and or my he was my boyfriend at the time. Yeah. And I, he didn't want to pick up and I didn't really want to pick up. But that, by the way, is a side story. But having the support of that person that you're with, because that could also derail where you want to go. Right. Uh, extremely important. But, you know, I kept at it and I found a really small station, a mom and pop shop that wasn't going to cover college or professional sports, but I got to really get my feet wet and just hone my craft. And I did high school and I did semi-professional semi leagues and I did some colleges, Ryder and College of New Jersey and Princeton, like smaller ones. And that's where I got my feet wet though. I did basically five minutes of sports a day mm -hmm. by myself. Mm -hmm. I edited everything, I put it together. The only thing I didn't need to do was actually build the graphics right. and shoot stuff. But I added the graphics in, I did everything. And I had my own sports cast. So what better experience than that? Really? And it really the perfect way to really, you know, get my feet wet and then start building my my reel to take it to the next level. Was it everything you had imagined going into that or was it maybe overwhelming or were you were you wishing there were more time for sports during your broadcast? Like what was your initial reaction to that? So first things, I had no idea what to expect. <laughs> yeah. This was a time where there weren't as many women on the air. So mm -hmm. I had no one to ask, no one to say, is this normal? No one to say, what should I ask for? No one to say, you know, what should it look like? You know, is this the same path you went on? Nothing. Never had anyone to talk to. Mm -hmm. So I had no clue whether this was normal or not normal or was it overwhelming or not overwhelming. I was just going in it blind, just doing it. Right. So. Um, and five minutes of sports a day might not sound like a lot to you, but in a local broadcast nowadays, it's a minute and a half. It's like nothing. Right. Now, right. You know, so to five minutes, a local broadcaster who does sports locally on TV would be like, oh, my God, we're given five. <laughs> uh, so it was my own show, basically. Mm -hmm. It was over to me and I created the whole thing. So it allowed me to really dive into different tasks that it, normally as a reporter, I don't know if I at a bigger station if I would have been able to do. The other interesting side of it is I was in Trenton, New Jersey, mm -hmm. which is the capital 
New Jersey, and it was only myself, a news reporter, and an anchor. That was it. First off, nothing ever was live. Mm -hmm. We taped Monday through Friday. We built broadcast for the weekend. So we never were live. Everything was taped, which is bizarre. And the second thing is, if there was anthrax in the post office, I had to go cover news. If there was a fire down in Trenton, I had to go cover it mm -hmm. because they needed all hands on deck. When the World Trade Center happened, mm -hmm. I covered blood banks while I was there. So you had, I did election nights. You had to always be ready to do news if, you know, if there was the opportunity, you know, came to be and they right. needed your help. So that was kind of another side of it, but it allowed me to kind of, you know, see different sides of the business and also realize I definitely did not want to do news. I can tell you. <laughs> right. Right. But do you think almost with doing news and all of those moving parts constantly and having to be prepared, it almost prepared you for your career now with sideline reporting? Yeah, I do think so. I think you had to, you know, think on your feet a lot. Um, but the fact that it was all taped and you could do as many, right. you know, hits you wanted, um, did not. Mm -hmm. So that was a big adjustment because my first job after Trenton was actually MSG Network, where I was a host, and then ESPN, where I was a sideline reporter for arena football and college football. Mm -hmm. I'd never been live. Right. So my first live game mm -hmm. was for ESPN doing Kentucky-Louisville, like a big rivalry with a Heisman hopeful, this quarterback, Dave Ragone. Yep. It was a really big game. And I'd never been live in my life in terms of being on the sidelines live. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I did tons of post-game reports, you know, after a high school game or, you know, post-game interviews or pre-game hits for, you know, these semi-professional leagues. But that was it. Right. So it, that was a big shock for me, going from Trenton to ESPN. And after I had about six, seven games. It was a small package. After that experience and during that experience, they would be like, you don't have to scream in the microphone. That's what the microphone is for. And I'm like, I know. I needed direction. I needed help. Yeah. I needed to tell me and teach me. But I didn't get that. I wasn't getting that there. I didn't get that. And I had to kind of learn on my own. Yeah. And so I, I did. But it, um, it definitely took me a while to get comfortable. Did you have, other than the screaming into the microphone, did you have a moment where you like really fumbled and you were like, oh man, this is, that was not good? Um, you know, I don't remember in college if I did, but I did have a really bad moment. I don't know if I ever told you about it when I had started working for, so I went from ESPN one year mm -hmm. to be hired by CBS right after that right. as the number order and opening happened. You know, and because I had the connections at CBS, it came down to me and one other person. And I actually heard the story now how like one of the bosses wanted me, one of the bosses wanted the other. And as long as I was willing to take a certain, you know, pay rate, uh -huh. they would. Have, that's basically how it works. And so my agent negotiated that certain pay rate and um, and I got the job. But 
one of the first, so I was really, really green, really raw, mm-hmm. like, you know, so young and inexperienced and still learning. Mm-hmm. And one of the first few years, I got the job to work at the U.S. Open, mm-hmm. which was would be my dream. I grew up a tennis player, grew up going to the U.S. Open with my mom right. and I have the opportunity to, to do that. And, and to interview on Arthur Ashe Stadium is incredible. So I got that opportunity because Mary Jo Fernandez was on maternity fraternity maternity leave mm-hmm. and she they gave me that that option. So I got to do that and I was interviewing a player by the name of Leighton Hewitt who should have won in three sets mm-hmm. and another player, Taylor Dent, took him to five and it was a big deal. And mm-hmm. so I'm listening, as you know, you're listening in your earpiece to the announcers. Mary Carrillo was one of the announcers with McEnroe. Mm-hmm. And I hear her talk about exposing his weakness for the rest of the tournament. Like how this, you know, going into five sets against, you know, in a, in a match you should have won easily would expose his weakness. Well, here I am getting ready for the post-game interview, sitting in a corner, and you know this. It's like you're trying to come up with the best possible question. Right. And you don't do like that just toss up, like, how did you feel? You know, mm-hmm. you want to like, kind of, you know, elicit a really good response. So here I am coming up with a question. I walk out into Arthur Ashe Stadium. My microphone is to the whole crowd as well as to TV. Right. And so I ask him, my first question is, are you concerned that this may have exposed your weaknesses later on in the tournament? He looked at me like with these glaring devil eyes, like fire shooting out of them. Mm-hmm. And the whole place booed. Oh, my gosh. The whole Arthur Ashe Stadium booed me oh for my, my question. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so here I am, like really young, really new at this, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, oh my god! And of course, I realized right away what is the question they wanted me to ask is, congratulations, you came back from two sets to love, you know, down two sets to love to win it in five. How did you do it? Right. I mean, that's what they wanted me to ask. Mm-hmm. So of course, I asked that. And, and then I move on, and the USTA looked at me. Every walking off, they were like, "What were you thinking?" It was like a moment. So I get in, and I go into the green room, and I talk to my producer, and he's like, "Look, it wasn't a bad question, just bad timing." Right. And remember, you're not Barbara Walters. Mm-hmm. Now, Barbara Walters, if you don't know, because of your generation, <laughs> like one of the best interviewers of yes. all time. Yes. Uh huh. She get the best responses because she's asked these like incredible, intricate questions. Mm-hmm. Basically, like, nah, don't do that. I'm in place for that. And I have to be honest, Caroline, like, I didn't know if I'd come back from that. Mm-hmm. It was really, I was so upset. I was so uncomfortable. I didn't know what to do. And the way I got over it was Mary Carrillo and a bunch of women have a group. Mm-hmm. And they call it Girls Night Productions. And they meet a lot of times like after events and whatever. And they had invited me. And I had, I had said to one of my other, the director, who is a female who is part of that group, says to me, come, come, come. And I'm like, no, I can't go. I can't go. This is miserable. I want to go home. She's like, just come. You'll feel so much better. I went. Mary Carrillo says to me, don't ever listen to anything I say again, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone picked me up. And you know what? I moved on. And mm-hmm. it's my story. But I moved on. I could have folded and I could have left and said, I'm done. But I had gotten too far. And it's the moment that I have that I remember where I and now I pride myself on the questions that I ask. Yes. And, you know, I think everyone, whether this has yet to happen in everyone's career or it has happened, everyone has a moment where they're like, oof, 
I could have done this better or I should have done X, Y, and Z. But it's all about how you take it in stride and you move on from it. And now you're obviously perfectly fine because you are the lead sideline reporter on a great team with Jim Nance and Tony Romo. And you guys make magic happen every time you guys are on screen. So it all works out in the end. But it, it does. But Carolyn, I'll say one thing. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're not going to mess up again. It right. doesn't mean you're not going to aches or failures or mess up someone's name or say the wrong thing, it's going to happen. Right. You're live. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're live trying to come up with things in like 10 to 15, 20 seconds. That's all you're given. And sometimes it's just not all clear. Yeah. And sometimes just, just like you would say something and use the wrong term. Sometimes it just happens. Mm -hmm. The key is just getting over it and letting it go. And first of all, and this is a whole other topic is, you know, don't, you know, go on social media, don't follow yourself, don't search yourself, don't yep. read that stuff. It's all how you're going to handle it and how you move on. And I can tell you when I make a mistake, it eats at me for days. Yep. But I know that when I get to the next game, it's all just, it's in the past. Right. It's done. It's, there's nothing I could do with it. I'm just going to move on. Right. And like, we are all human everybody makes mistakes it happens and it's all about just moving on so that that's always a good lesson to learn and i think you learned it early on in your career and like you said maybe mistakes never stop happening but it's always how you grow from them so it's always good to learn that but now you're on the team with jim nance tony romo you guys crush it what is your favorite part about working with those two because when i got to come and see them for a weekend they are a duo like no other. They are just a riot in person and just their chemistry really comes across the screen. Yeah, I think it's the energy that they bring. Um, and when Phil and Jim were together, I had such a great relationship with Phil. It was a different relationship though, because we would spend you know hours at night watching film together and I would learn from him and we'd do that. Like Tony and Jim and, and my relationship with our producer and our directors, you know, we really have a lot of we have a lot of fun together mm -hmm. and, and there's energy there. And I think that shows on the broadcast. And um, I still learn something every day from Tony and I ask him to explain and he comes up and he's so good at explaining what's mm -hmm. out there and what those plays are and what it means. Uh, but it is that energy. It's the camaraderie. It's the teamwork. It's how, you know, they both utilize me and embrace my role. And it's a team effort. And so I think that's where it comes from. But it also stems from our producer and our director who are second to, I mean, they are so good at being inclusive, so good at making sure that we have our Friday night dinners. We're all kind of laid back a little, but get to talk about the game, mm -hmm. but also get to know each other. So we do have that camaraderie once we get onto the air. Do you have a favorite memory of working with the two of them on this team of NFL on game day? I think my memory is really just Tony in that first year specifically where I'd be on the sideline, all of a sudden I'd hear him singing <laughs> in like at the top of his lungs before a game. And it could be Lady Gaga, it could be Michael Jackson, like you too. I mean, you name it. It could be a slow song, a fast song, a rap. He's screaming. And he would always say that it would to get his voice like going. <laughs> get my voice going. I did it as a quarterback. I'm going to do it in the booth. And we're like, I don't know if that's such a good idea. <laughs> but it was always entertaining because you didn't know what song he was going to sing next. 
It was certainly entertaining for me on the sidelines hearing what he would play next. And uh, that was just Tony. That, that's just who he is. Like he, he likes to have a lot of fun. And, um, and he certainly brings it, you know, to the air. I can vouch for you because I remember when I was on the weekend immersion trip with you and I went into the booth to watch how it operates from up there with Jim and Tony. I walked in and he was singing at the top of his lungs and I was like, oh my gosh, should I not be in here? Is he like having a private moment? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's gone away from that. So you witness something that no one else is really going to witness anymore. Because oh, I think he realized it affected his voice. <laughs> yes. Because then yeah. you're straining it. Yeah. Right. It's yeah, okay. It's like maybe he, he learned that lesson just as we all keep learning those lessons. But I want to end on the Jets and because you grew up a Jets fan and what you think of the new team that, well, not new, but the second year team under head coach Robert Sala and kind of what they've been building these last couple years because I think Jet fans are really excited, but you also have the experience and getting to watch all of the teams up close and personal and the vision of being on a sideline reporter. So what are your thoughts on this new team? Well, let me first say so hard for me because being a Jets fan, never <laughs> chance to cover the Jets. Mm -hmm. um, and I talked to you about this before we started the show is we let's go because I want a home game. Yes. You know, I want to sidelines at MetLife. And, um, you know, so I'm all I'm always rooting for my Jets. Of course, I can't do it out loud, especially when I'm covering the other AFC East teams. Mm -hmm. But I will say from watching and the other hard part is you don't really get to know the team when you're covering every other team in the league or, you know, you really focus on those teams. So for so long, I covered so many New England teams with Tom Brady. And now we're really, on the you know, with the Bills and Josh Allen, we got Kansas City. We really, as a number one crew, follow the hot teams right. as it goes. But I truly believe that we're going to see more and more of the Jets and more and more of the AFC East. Now, the allegiances between, you know, AFC, NFC, Fox, CBS, I think they're going to basically start going away. And we're seeing that. So I'm getting a lot more NFC games. Fox is getting a lot more AFC games. Mm -hmm. But still, AFC rivalries and matchups are still going to, you know, be on our air. And it's just whether we get them, you know, or they're the 425s or the one o'clocks or whatever it happens. Right. But from afar and from talking to other players and, and coaches in the league, I think everyone really feels that the Jets are on the rise. And I think they are coming off a really good draft. And as I told you earlier, also with my father, I would say you got to temper your expectations here. Mm -hmm. You got to clear it all out and start again. And so I think that's where they're at. And I think Zach Wilson is a really you know, good quarterback that they can build around. Now, certainly we have to see, but I was talking with Aaron Rodgers last year, mm -hmm. and he is a huge Zach Wilson fan, and so is Tony Romo. So the two of them, I really respect their opinion. Right. And certainly we haven't had that opportunity to be around him enough, but I think what they're starting to build around him is is big. And when you have Robert Sala, the success that he had, um, I think you start building that defense. Look, they're young. They're young, but this is an opportunity in the AFC East right now that's, it's open. It's right. open for the, you know, and we all know where Josh Allen and the Bills are right now, you know, leading the way. And of course, with Tyreek going down to Miami yep. with two, but you don't have Tom Brady in New England anymore, right? And, and Mac Jones certainly, you know, showed himself, 
But I think that this is an opportunity for the Jets to take a next step. I'm really excited to see what they do this year. I really hope I get a chance to be there. Uh, but I think the future is bright. If you get a chance to be here, I'll make you a deal. I'll save you a seat right next to me. I'll make it nice and warm. I'll get you some snacks so that we can chat the entire game. How about this? Okay. How about on a, that maybe you're on Monday night or Thursday night when I'm not working, maybe I get to come and just be a fan. Okay, That's deal. Up. Deal. I don't ever get Yes, you can bring you can bring all the boys because, of course, you're a mom of three boys, which I don't know how you do it. Your your sports world really never ends. It's it's go, go, go through football season, then basketball season. And then you're still go, go, go while you're getting all of your boys ready and squared away for summer and all of their sports seasons coming to an end. It's just you really do it all, Tracy. It's very impressive to watch. And I'm even more honored to know you and get to call you a mentor and a friend. Well, thank you. I feel very, very fortunate that I could be a mom and I can do what I want to do and be a and, and live out my dream as a reporter. And, you know, Caroline, I am so, so proud of you. And if I could do anything else to help you, you know, I am here and I can't wait to see you. You're the best. We will see you on the sideline this fall. Can't wait and have a great rest of your summer. Good luck this season. Thank you. That's all for episode one with Tracy Wolfson. As you can tell, Tracy is not only a star on the sideline with what she does with reporting, but also a fantastic human being, a great mentor and friend of mine. We are so lucky to have her on our first episode. And for all of our future episodes, make sure you can listen on iHeartRadio, Apple, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Make sure you like and subscribe for all future episodes of New York Her and we will see you next time.